And I would invite you in your own copy of God's Word, either physically or digitally, to turn this morning to John chapter 20. And as you turn to John chapter 20, I want to ask you, how does the resurrection of Jesus affect the way that you live today with Jesus? I think as Christians, we all know how the resurrection affects the way we will live with Jesus. Uh, At the return of Jesus from heaven, we will live with him in bodies that have been raised to eternal life like his body was. But what about right now? How does the resurrection of Jesus affect the way that you live with Jesus today? Because as Christians, we believe that we do live with Jesus right now. Uh, But as I I look around, I don't see the resurrected Lord sitting here. He could sit here if he wanted to. Uh, We'll see that with Thomas in our story this morning. But he's not here right now. So how does our current life with Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, how does that go together? That's an important question for us. And it was an important question also for the disciples because for them, their whole life with Jesus before he was crucified and resurrected was physically following him down streets and into houses, handing him water, being handed food by him, hearing him talk, hearing him laugh. Uh, being able to read his facial expressions. How many of us would like to see the joy in Jesus' eyes when we obey? How many of us would be helped to see the concern or disapproval in Jesus' eyes when we're about to go off the rails? I think that would help me. Uh, The disciples had that for a season. But after Jesus is raised from the dead, that physical relationship with him changes. And in our passage this morning, what you're going to see is that as Jesus shows his, rec- his resurrected self to his disciples, he's also at the same time starting to transition their relationship with him so that they can understand what it means to live with him and follow him now that he's been raised from the dead and is going to ascend into heaven. Uh, he's transitioning them to a life that looks like our life with him. And that means that what we're going to see here is is going to be very helpful to us to help us understand what exactly it means to live with the resurrected Jesus and follow him now that he's been raised from the dead. So we're going to read all of John chapter 20, and then we'll look at our passage under these three points. Uh, First, mustard seed faith. Then second, we're going to look at how the resurrection changes how we live with Jesus. And then finally, how the resurrection changes how we follow Jesus. So John chapter 20, I'm going to read all of it this morning. I'm going to do it my best to not be monotone and to have this be interesting. I know it's long, but it's it's exciting. This is about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So let's give now our full attention to it. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, 
And he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Judeans, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the door was locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thus far the reading of what can truly be, I think, God's own word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful and moving testimony of uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, thank you for what it teaches us about how uh, not only our Lord Jesus truly rose from the dead, but what it means to live with him now that he has risen from the dead. 
And so, Father, we pray that as we consider this passage, that the words of my mouth as your preacher, and that the meditation of our hearts as those who are called to gather together and uh, meditate and receive your word, that it would all be pleasing now in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the first thing we're going to look at this morning is what I'm calling mustard seed faith. So in the Gospels, Jesus talks about how even faith the size of a mustard seed is sufficient to sustain a relationship with him. And kids, mustard seeds are just incredibly small seeds. And Jesus' point is that life with him doesn't come only to those who are 100% certain about who Jesus is or what he's done. It doesn't come only to those who have a complete and full understanding about the Bible or theology. No life with Jesus comes to us even when our faith is mixed with doubt, or as you see in verses 1 through 10, when it doesn't completely understand something Jesus has said or done. So let's look at that. Uh, we're told in verses 1 through 2 that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she saw the, the stone door to the tomb rolled away, and that she ran and told Peter and John. They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. And then we're told that Peter and John, they run to the tomb. And then in verses 4 through 5, we read, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, that's John, and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Uh, just a quick comment on this. This isn't John bragging 100%. Um, this is John establishing his credibility as the first eyewitness to the empty tomb. Uh, this is standard practice for ancient history writers. He's saying, you should believe me because I am a first-hand witness. I'm the first one who saw the empty tomb. And he's also saying, at the same time, uh, Peter is also a credible eyewitness. He's just the second one. I saw Jesus to empty tomb first. Peter saw it second. Uh, and just one more thing on this too. This support of Peter being an eyewitness matters because Mark's gospel is made up primarily of Peter's own eyewitness testimony. And so John is saying, you can trust my account of Jesus' resurrection, and you can trust Peter's account of Jesus' resurrection in Mark's gospel because we both saw the empty tomb with our own eyes. I think that's pretty cool. It's a little off point. Uh, so let's get though, so let's get back to our main point of mustard seed faith. So John and Peter, they run to the tomb. John looks in but doesn't go in. Peter gets there and bursts in because he's Peter, and that's his personality. Like, let's get in there and see this thing, right? And then we're told in verses six through nine that Peter saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must excuse me, rise from the dead. So a couple of things on these verses. First, the point of the clothes being folded seems to be twofold. No pun intended. Actually, I'm sorry, that is not intentional. Uh, first, it shows that the body wasn't stolen 
Because who takes time to unwrap a dead body and fold the clothes? That's gross. If you're going to steal a body, you're going to take it clothed. But the second thing it shows is that Jesus doesn't need the grave clothes anymore. Like us, so in the ancient world, you fold your clothes to put them away. You're done with them. You don't need them right now. You're putting them away. Jesus doesn't need grave clothes anymore. That part of his life is over. Also, I should say, I don't know the significance of keeping the face cloth separate from the other cloths, but my best guess is that it relates to the veil that Moses kept on his face uh, after coming down from Sinai, because after being on Sinai, his face shone with God's glory in such a way that it was something that we couldn't look at. Israel couldn't endure to see God's glory shining from Moses' face. But now that Jesus has been raised from the dead in a glorified body, we can stand to look at the glory of God as it's revealed in the face of Jesus. The veil has been removed, and we can see the glory of Jesus without fear and shame. That's my best guess as to what that symbolically means. Peter and John, they see these things, and they understand that there's some kind of significance to them. They understand that Jesus wasn't stolen like Mary Magdalene was afraid of, and as we see, is continuing to be afraid of, but they don't know exactly what had happened yet. As John says in verse 9, they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Yet at the same time, and just before that, in verse 8, we're told they saw and believed. They had faith, but they didn't totally understand. John believes he has real faith but he doesn't have 100% perfect comprehension. John is saying here, I could see that Jesus was gone. I knew something had happened to him. I knew it was good for him. I knew it was good for me, but I didn't totally understand how or what. And my friends, this is good for us to see. Sometimes we can think that faith can't have any doubts or any uncertainties or that faith can only be real faith if it doesn't have errors or blank spots. That's not the case here. John has faith that has blank spots. Uh, maybe even errors, maybe both. I mean, we don't know exactly. But he tells us that neither he nor Peter yet understood the scriptures, but their faith was real. It was, I think in Jesus' own words, mustard seed faith. Small, not yet grown and mature, but real. And maybe that's you this morning. Uh, maybe you have mustard seed faith. Uh, maybe you're saying, I get that Jesus has done something good for me, but I don't exactly understand what that is. Uh, but I believe that Jesus you know, wants to give his goodness to me. I just don't totally understand how that works. Maybe that's you. And if that is you, and even if it's not you, we're going here anyway, let's move on to our second point, uh, which is the resurrection changes how we live with Jesus. So in verse 11, we're told, but Mary stood outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. To understand what Mary is doing, standing outside the tomb still, even after Peter and John have departed, and I'm assuming after they've told her, what they've seen in the tomb, 
I think it helps us to remember Jesus' word that his people, those who love him, are supposed to abide in him. One of the meanings of which, as Jesus explains in the Gospels, means to stand with him. As a matter of fact, as we heard last Sunday, Jesus explained this idea in this way when he says that where he is, there his servants will be. Which is why I think we get these series of exchanges about Jesus' body in verses 12 through 15. I'm going to read those again. In looking into the tomb, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. The emphasis on all of this is that Mary wants to be where the body of Jesus is. You can see Mary is weeping not only because Jesus has died, but also I think especially because she can't fulfill Jesus' command to be with him where he is. And just to add this, I think that Mary Magdalene here is showing a mustard seed faith of her own. She believes that Jesus wasn't lying when he said, those who abide in me, who stand with me, will have an eternal relationship with me. Does she understand exactly how that's going to work? No. But is she there because she believes his words? Yes. And this is where Jesus comes in to give her the blessing that she's seeking. Uh, now, as Dale Bruner points out in his commentary, uh, Mary most likely missaw the angels and Jesus because she's looking at them through a veil of tears and sadness. And I think that comment is, is right. I, I don't think that this is a supernaturally imposed blindness. I think that we all know when you're very sad and full of weepy, you just don't see things clearly. Things that would surprise you, you miss. I think this is the blindness of sorrow and grief. And Jesus knows that. And uh, he wants her to have that life with him that he's promised her and that she's trying to get by getting near his body. And so being the good shepherd that he is, this actually harkens back to earlier when Jesus says in the Gospels, my sheep hear my voice and I call them by name. He calls her by name in verse 16. Mary. And with that name, he cuts through the sorrow, and she replies in verse 16, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus says something in verse 17 that I think is very important for us to understand. Jesus said to her, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So first to note this, Jesus is not criticizing Mary for hugging him. That would be me. This would not be Jesus. Um, frankly, actually, that would be an odd thing for Jesus to do. And, and I think also a cruel thing to do, to deny human touch to those who are separated by death. Uh, the best translation of the Greek here isn't actually don't cling to me. It's certainly not the King James's don't touch me. Uh, it's 
Don't keep holding on to me. Jesus allows Mary to hug him. He, I'm sure, hugs her back. But there comes a point where this has to end. Why? Because as Jesus says, I have not yet ascended to my Father yet. And in this statement, Jesus tells Mary and starts introducing Mary to this concept of how their relationship is going to change. Because Jesus is going to fulfill his promise that he will live with us. He is going to make it so that we can abide with him and be with him wherever we are and wherever he is. But he's going to do that by ascending into heaven and then sending his Holy Spirit. And though John doesn't talk about it here in this chapter, he does earlier in chapters 14 to 17, where he spends a lot of time or recounting Jesus's conversation and prayer with the disciples right before he's crucified. And in those chapters, Jesus tells his disciples that though he is going away physically, he's going to send his Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will do something amazing for all of us, for the disciples, for Mary, for us. He will make Jesus, who because he has a body, can physically be only in one place at one time, present to each of us wherever we are. And he's going to do that in such a way that Jesus, who is in heaven, will be able to say, I live in my people. As Jesus says, my Father and I will make our home in everyone who has the Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying to Mary isn't, stop it, that's bad. He's saying, hey, you need to let me go so that I can ascend into heaven and send the Spirit so that we can abide together, stand together forever, wherever you are. You don't have to be by the tomb to live with me anymore. You can go home, you can go to America, whatever you want to do. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to send the Spirit. And that's how the resurrection changes how we live with Jesus, how we abide with him. You see, you don't have to travel to where Jesus physically is, which for us would be impossible because he's in heaven, and I don't think Delta flies there. Um, no, Jesus comes to us and lives with us through the Holy Spirit. And he does that as we see with Mary and John and Peter to those who have faith. Even if it's mustard seed faith. Even if it's faith that has doubts and misunderstandings, the resurrection of Jesus means that we can live with him wherever we are. And as imperfectly, as imperfect as we are. And that brings us then to our final point, which is the resur resurrection also changes how we follow Jesus. So we're told that Easter Sunday night, while the disciples were gathered together behind a locked door, uh, because like we talked about last week, they were afraid of more political reprisals from the Judeans, Jesus suddenly appears in front of them and greets them. Peace be with you. Which I, I think I, I think is wonderful to hear Jesus say peace be with you, but I think you also have to imagine the disciples, right? You look up and there's the resurrected Savior going, peace be with you. I, you know, surprise, it's okay. You know, I just, I just feel like they probably all had minor heart attacks there. Um, and then we read this in verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and his sides. Then the disciples were glad and they saw that they had, when they had saw the Lord. 
And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Obviously, there is a lot we could talk about here. I'm just going to say two things. First, I just want to observe something. We're going to come back to it in a second. Notice that Jesus shows the disciples his hands and his sides. Keep that in mind. The second thing, the longer thing I want to say is that after showing them the marks of his love for them and for us, he gives them a mission. He sends them out into the world to preach the gospel and to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in his name, which as we know means telling people when they believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven because Christ has suffered for them, for you, on the cross. And everyone who believes in Jesus has life in his name and is forgiven their sins. And this mission then becomes the way that the disciples will now follow Christ because no longer will they follow him physically while he walks from town to town, which was their life before, right? And as a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, I think you can see that Jesus never really told them where they were going. He would just get up and go, and they would follow. Now Jesus is saying, I'm telling you where to go everywhere, and I'm going to go into heaven. And this shift from following Jesus physically to following his word of mission is memorably captured in Jesus' interaction with Thomas. So we're told in verse 24 that Thomas isn't with the other disciples when Jesus appears to them. And we're told in verse 25 that after the other disciples tell Thomas what happened, after they delivered Jesus' message of salvation, he says memorably, unless I see his hands and the mark of, of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You know, I always thought that Thomas wanted something more than the disciples. But remember, and this is why I had you put a pin in this, Jesus showed the other disciples his wounds. So what Thomas is really saying is, unless Jesus gives me exactly what he gave you, I will not believe. And doesn't that sound like us? Unless Jesus parts the Red Sea, like he did for Israel, I don't believe. I believe if Jesus would have manna show up on the ground in the morning dew, uh, if Jesus would just appear in front of me like he did for Mary Magdalene, I, I would believe. That's Thomas. If I'm not treated exactly the same way as certain other people in God's history, I will not have faith. And so whereas John and Peter and Mary had, I think, mustard seed faith, Thomas, Thomas refuses to have any faith unless he's given the same kind of signs as the other disciples received earlier or later the previous day. And what's interesting is in verse 26, we read that Jesus makes Thomas wait eight days until showing up in front of him. So that means Jesus waited until next Monday night. <laughs> and I think Jesus waits that long 
because I think he's giving him a chance to believe on the basis of the word he's given to other people to deliver to him. But Thomas refused. And Jesus, in his mercy, appears to his disciple, and he gives Thomas the same treatment that he gave the other ten. But then he turns that into something of a chastisement, doesn't he? In verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you missed out on the blessing that comes from having faith in me that wells up from trust in my words rather than welling up from seeing my hands and touching them and feeling them. It's amazing, really. Jesus is saying it's better for us to believe on the basis of his word than on the basis of our eyes or the basis of our touch. And I think if you pause and think about the events that we've just covered briefly in chapter 20, we can see why that's true. For Mary, faith was something she had because of Jesus' words before he died. She didn't believe because Jesus wasn't crucified. She said, I know Jesus said, if I'm with him, I'll live with him. I don't understand how that works now that he's dead. I'm going to be at this tomb. And in fact, I think you can also see it was only Jesus' word, Mary, that allowed her to finally see what it was that Jesus was doing. And we're told also, right, John and Peter saw and believed, but they didn't get the fullest blessing of faith and understanding until Jesus sends Mary Magdalene to them with his message of resurrection and ascension. And they didn't become the apostles that we know them to be until Jesus appears and then gives them the word. In fact, I think you can say that in John's gospel and in the Bible generally, it's not seeing that gives faith. Otherwise, Israel would never have rebelled with the parting of the Red Sea and the pillar of fire that's in front of them every day and the pillar of cloud every day. It's not seeing that gives faith. The word of God gives faith. Which is why following Jesus isn't a matter of the eye, but of the ear. It's about hearing and believing and following, which is why he sends his disciples and us out with a message. A message of completed salvation through Jesus. And this is why John then ends the way he does in verses 20 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And I don't like that either. I want them all written down. I feel a little gypped. I'm going to talk to John about that when I see him in glory. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And here our two points come together. Easter changes the way that we live with Jesus because Jesus now comes to us through the word, the spirit, and the sacraments. It's his word that gives us faith and creates life. And it's following his word that grows our mustard seed faith into maturity. And it's the word and the Holy Spirit 
who comes with that word that causes us to abide in Jesus wherever we are because Jesus lives with us wherever we are through his word and spirit, which is why the best way to celebrate Easter and the living relationship uh, with Jesus that we have because of that is to devote ourselves to the Bible, to the word, because that is the way that Jesus lives with us today and it's the way that we follow him today. And so let's commit to helping one another hear Jesus' word so that we can follow him, abide in him, and be blessed to live with him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for making a way for us all to live with Jesus, no matter where we are, and to follow him after his resurrection and ascension. Uh, Please help us to abide with Jesus and to follow him through your word uh, so that we can grow in all the blessings that come from living with Christ. And also help us to offer those blessings to others and to each other through the preaching and the sharing of the gospel. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.